0: What a week we've had. And if ever there was a time where we needed to know who we are and where our anchor is, it's a week like the one that we've just come through. Where is our anchor point in the storms of life that blow in upon us? Uh, Jesus finished up his longest sermon with these words Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. You know, a week ago, there is no way we could have anticipated what would unfold over these past few days. We, of course, heard the weather report that heavy rains were coming, but in the part of the world we live in, a rainforest, that's pretty much our lives from November right through March. But little did we know that a -a once-in-a-lifetime atmospheric river would dump up to a foot of rain in a little over 48 hours and the catastrophic impact that it would have on all of our lives. I started to make a list of everything that's happened, the roadways and railways washed out, homes and farms flooded. But then I thought, you know what, why bother? You already know all of this. You've heard all of this. We've been living all of this these last few days. And we grieve. We grieve with families who lost loved ones in these storms and we pray for those who are still missing. We grieve with farmers who lost livestock and property, knowing that it will take months, maybe years, for them to rebuild their livelihoods. We grieve for homeowners who now face the task of cleanup and rebuilding. But by late in the week, we knew that the worst of the crisis was past us, And our eyes started looking ahead to the cleanup, to the rebuilding, and the long road that lays ahead of us. You see, when Jesus talked about the foolish and the wise builder, we know it was a metaphor. His use of storm language simply referred to the storms of life that crash in upon us. He wasn't talking about an atmospheric river and actual rainstorms, and yet it certainly applies His question was, will your spiritual house survive the storms of life? Will you get washed away? Will you get lost in the devastation of the moment? Will you get lost in the crisis? Charles Spurgeon, 150 years ago, wrote these words, There have always been, and likely always will be, people who look for the dark side in every situation. They're somehow drawn to the waste places, the wildernesses, the storm clouds. They study them till they know every ruin, every dragon, every owl. His challenge to his congregation was this, that in times of crisis, we need to listen to the right voice and we need to return to the right source. My favorite soundbite this week, I think, was Mike Farnworth when he got a little frustrated with reporters and their questions, and all the armchair quarterbacks who want to cast blame for this somewhere. And when he finally replied, we will listen to the experts with boots on the ground, not the experts on Twitter. And my wife can attest that I literally shouted out yes and amen at our television screen. I'm always amazed how the Holy Spirit goes ahead of us in times like these. What should we be talking about? And where should we anchor our thoughts? And you know that we've been in a series in the book of Isaiah. Back in July, I felt the Lord impressing on my heart that there was something in this text for us. That we were about 16 months into COVID-19 and all the uh, entailing things that have come with it. We've just said goodbye to Pastor Jeff and his family. And beyond those two big current events is this greater cultural moment we find ourselves in that is perhaps the most radical reshaping of western culture in our lifetimes and in the midst of all this i felt like the lord was saying my people need to have their eyes lifted up behold your god so we've been working our way through the middle chunk of isaiah reminding ourselves of the comparisons that we can make with these people who were living as exiles. I've reminded you many times that they were prisoners of war. They were taken captive and dragged 900 miles east across the desert to serve a foreign nation. They were there, yes, because of their own rebellion. They were reaping the consequences of their own failures, of turning away from God. And now here in that foreign land, the Spirit of God begins to do a good work in their lives. And God sends several messengers to comfort them, uh, to give them some incredible promises. Uh, Jeremiah was one of the others, and he said in Jeremiah 29, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil. To give you a future and a hope. But as much as we love that verse on the side of our our coffee mugs or on a poster on our walls, the people in our text were not there yet. They're still neck deep in the muck and mire of the Babylonian captivity. And so the question, of course, is this, how do we maintain hope while still in exile? And here that question gets intensely practical for us, because we know that the New Testament describes us as exiles and strangers. We're foreigners, aliens, sojourners. We don't really fit in here. In fact, we're not meant to fit in here. We shouldn't be surprised when we feel out of step with the culture around us. But it presses us, doesn't it? Because living as exiles is never easy. The language, the culture, the customs of the world around us. Back in 1982, I left the U.S. as a 17-year-old to come up to Canada to go to Bible school, and I got trapped north of the 49th parallel. I had to learn a few things. How to drive in kilometers instead of miles. Buying gas in liters instead of gallons learning to say a instead of huh not understanding why canadians say sorry for everything why is that trying to figure out how a constitutional monarchy is different than a federal republic they're both democratic societies but very different learning to say roof not roof selica instead of selika a vehicle not vehicle. But honestly, the adjustments were really quite minimal because the underlying cultural values of those two nations are so much the same. The New Testament, however, tells us that we won't ever truly fit into this world, that the world and its systems actually will destroy us from the inside out if we allow it. 1 Peter 1, he says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Don't get entangled with the world, he says, or it will destroy you, it will eat you alive. Now, you might be thinking, why does this matter? Why are you talking about this on this weekend? So what? Given the week that we have just walked through, I think there may be no more practical text than where we happen to have landed in this week in time than Isaiah 51. And originally, we were going to take a full chapter and a half, right up to the middle of chapter 52. But I see in these first two verses, enough for our weekend right here. Isaiah 51 says this, listen to me. You who pursue righteousness, you who seek the Lord, look to the rock from which you were hewn and the quarry from which you were dug. Look to Abraham, your father, and to Sarah who bore you, for he was but one when I called him that I might bless him and multiply him. What God is saying to his people in this is that there is still a long road ahead of you. Your exile will end, but you're not there yet. The storm isn't over. And if you're going to make it through this storm to the other side, I need you to listen. In fact, he says, listen to me three times. Listen to me. Listen to me. He says, wake up, wake up three times. You need to know who you are and where you've come from. You need to know whom you belong to and where to anchor your soul. You need to know who has called you and where you are headed. You need to know who the master builder is and what he is building with your life. So here's the big idea I want you to take with you this week as an exile. And when the storm winds are blowing all around our lives, you need to anchor yourself here that your identity matters. That thought, take it with you. Ponder it. Roll it over in your mind. Your identity matters. In these days, we are going to be called upon to do a lot of doing, but that doing must flow out of our being and who we are. So just a comment about that very first phrase. Chapter 51, verse 1. Listen, you who pursue righteousness and you who seek the Lord. You see, that's really good news. It's really good news because what it tells us is that there was a God-fearing, God-seeking remnant in the midst of that exile. That there were people, even in Babylon, who wanted to know what God had to say. You see, it's the preacher's challenge. You may never have thought about this, but it is the preacher's challenge. Knowing That every week, in every audience, in every congregation, there are people who simply do not want to hear. Who do not want to listen and who have no intention of applying the word of God. And you might say, seriously? Well, why would they even be there? Well, there's any number of reasons why they might be there. It could be family pressure. It could be that mom and dad dragged them to church or their spouse begged them to come to the gathering with them. It could be a girlfriend who says, if you're going to date me, you're going to go to church. It could be people who say, it's a good place for me to meet people, make a few business contacts. You see, there's any number of reasons that people sit through a sermon and walk away unchanged. But the preacher's joy The preacher's joy is this, that in every audience, in every congregation, every weekend, there are also those who are eager to listen, eager to learn, and eager to obey the word of God. And these are the folks that Isaiah is talking to now. Listen, those of you who pursue righteousness and who are seeking the Lord. It's an echo back to verse 10 of the previous chapter where he said, who among you fears the Lord and who obeys the voice of his servant? There are those who want to listen and learn. Let me remind you whose you are and where you came from, the rock from which you were hewn, the stone quarry where you were dug up. Now, that rock metaphor is used throughout the Bible and at least in four distinct ways, maybe more. It's used of Abraham, it's used of God, it's used of Jesus, and it's used of us. In other words, there is a rock named Abe. There's a rock named Jehovah. There is a rock named Jesus. And there is a rock named fill-in-the-blank. If you have trusted Christ, your name goes in that blank, And in the specific context here in Isaiah 51, Isaiah says to these people, look to your ethnic heritage. Look back to your parents, Abraham and Sarah, a rock named Abe. You are of the family, the line, the quarry of Abraham and Sarah. Think of who they were when I called them and made my promise to them. I took them out of a pagan background. I called Abraham out of a city that was devoted to worshiping the moon god. Now, we don't know how far immersed into that idolatrous and pagan worship Abraham's family was, his father Terah. And in some ways it actually doesn't really matter, because what matters is that when God called him, Abraham said yes. Yes, Lord, I will follow you. I will trust you. I will leave everything I know behind. And even if none go with me, still I will follow. Sarah and I. Sarah and I will trust you, Lord. We will believe that even you can open this barren womb. In other words, God called this one man, to change the course of human history. This is your heritage, God says. You might have forgotten as you sit along the banks of the Babylonian River that once I called one old man to start a movement and I can do it again. That even today if there was just one God-fearing person left that God can and would and could and will build a nation. And significant to note that when those 70 years had come and gone and Cyrus said, you can go home, it's significant that most didn't. Most had so settled into life in their new country that they had forgotten their God and forgotten their homeland. Only some 50,000 returned, just a small remnant of those who were taken captive. And God says to these faithful few, look to your family tree, look to a rock named Abraham. I did it once, I can do it again. And friends, if that was as far as we got this weekend, frankly, I would be satisfied. Because oh, how the discouraged and beaten up and beaten down people of God need to hear this. That living on the margins of society like we are. Fighting for things that just a few years ago we took for granted. Fighting for a biblical definition of marriage and family and sexuality. Fighting for every human life from the moment of conception until the moment of natural death. Fighting against our own fears and doubts fighting to remind ourselves that the age-old principles of this book still matter, and then being mocked, being called old-fashioned, bigoted, on the wrong side of history, politically incorrect, and so much worse than that. In a sermon on this same text back in 1881, Spurgeon put it like this, he, referring to God, he could call out another Abraham and bless him and increase him and achieve the whole of his eternal purposes if all of us should sleep in the dust and the visibly organized church of today should pass away as the snow of winter at the advent of spring. Is anything too hard? For the Lord, that even if the present-day church completely disappeared, God could still call one. And the question is, will you be that one? Look to the rock from which you were hewn, a rock named Abraham. But secondly, and more importantly, look to a rock named Jehovah. David wrote in Psalm 18, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield, the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. In Psalm 62, it says, for God alone, my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. And there are dozens more like it. You see, Jehovah presents himself to his people as the spiritual rock of Gibraltar, the bedrock foundation upon which we can build our lives. And it is why he has hammered away at us again and again and over and over through this book. Why would you look to any other god? All of those so-called gods are not gods at all. Your idols cannot save you. They're just a chunk of wood. You cut down that tree, you cut it in half, burnt your supper on one half of it, and carved an idol with the other half. In Isaiah 44, we looked at a few weeks ago, thus says the Lord, I am the first and the last. Beside me there is no God. Who is like me? Fear not, nor be afraid. Have I not told you from of old and declared it? And you are my witnesses. Is there a God besides me? There is no other rock. I know not any. You see, here's the problem in the greater context of Isaiah. This is indeed the problem. Back in Isaiah 17, he said, For you have forgotten the God of your salvation, and have not remembered the rock of your refuge. You've forgotten the Lord your God. And the Lord says to them, instead of turning to me, you've turned to every other God the nations around you. You've become worshipers of money and security. You've become worshipers of sex and pleasure. You've become worshipers of power and influence instead of drinking from the life-giving cistern the wells of living water that i have for you you've dug your own muddy cisterns that are diseased and filled with parasites and you're drinking at those wells but the day is going to come when the floodwaters will wash over all of your so-called idols and they will fall And you will be left high and dry and barren and spent. And perhaps then, perhaps there, when you've reached the end of your rope, you will find a cry rising within your heart. Oh God, my rock and my redeemer. And Isaiah 26 anticipates it. It's a party text. In that day. In that day, when we finally cry out, oh God, my rock and my redeemer, in that day, this song will be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. He sets up salvation as walls and bulwarks open the gates that the righteous nation that keeps faith may enter in. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. We have an old hymn we used to sing, Stayed Upon Jehovah, Hearts Are Fully Blessed. Stayed on this rock named Jehovah because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. So the cry of the psalmist then makes sense. In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me and rescue me. Incline your ear to me and save me. Be to me a rock of refuge to which I may continually come. You've given the command to save me, for you are my rock and my fortress. There's a rock named Abraham. There's a rock named Jehovah. But if you've been around the Bible any length of time, you know that it doesn't end there. There is a greater rock than Abraham. There's a rock named Jesus. Now, there is so much that we can say here. There's so much, and we don't have time. But I want to walk you through just one New Testament text. And in Ephesians 2, as you pull out a few verses in the middle of that chapter, it says, Therefore, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenant of promise, Having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you once who were far off, who have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace. So then, you're no longer strangers and aliens, but your fellow citizens, with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Did you hear it? You were outsiders, outsiders to the things of God and the things of faith. But through Christ Jesus, God has brought you near, and there is a rock, a cornerstone named Jesus. And God is building an eternal home, an eternal house from his people and for his people. And he will be our God and we will be his people and he will make his dwelling among us. And Jesus is identified as the cornerstone. And the cornerstone, very interesting phrase because it's used in two ways. It's used as the very first stone that is set in the foundation. The very first stone in which all other stones align themselves up, it sets the, the trajectories for the whole building. And it is also used as the capstone. The top of those wonderful arches in the temple and that capstone that would drop in and hold everything together, there is a rock named Jesus. He is the beginning and the end. He is the cornerstone and the capstone. And finally, there is a rock named and fill in the blank, that if you have trusted Jesus Christ for salvation, there is a rock with your name on it. That longer text in Ephesians 2 that we just read finishes like this. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by his spirit. Now, if you jump forward to 1 Peter 2, you'll hear an expanded version of that very same thought. In 1 Peter 2, verses 4 and 6, it says, As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. For it stands in Scripture, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Whoever trusts in this rock named Jesus will not be put to shame. Now press forward a few more verses and you will hear that you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. That you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You who were alienated from God are now living stones being built into a holy temple. Whew. What a fire hose! The question that faces us is really quite simple. When the storms of life begin to rage over us, when you're singing the songs of Zion along the shores of the rivers of Babylon, or when a pandemic closes down our world, or when an atmospheric river releases its fury over our valley, When cancer visits your home. When your child rejects the very faith that you raised them to embrace. When your job is insecure and your economic future looks bleak. When you're single and you wish you were married. Or you're married and right now you wish you were single. You've just buried your parents. Or worse, you've just buried your child. In short, when all hell breaks loose, what are you made of? Who are you gonna listen to? What will be the source of your strength? Where will you anchor your soul and navigate the storms of life? Are your foundations built on the solid rock that will stand? You see, these are the questions that inevitably come to every life because sooner or later, the storm waters are going to encroach on your life. And I don't know how or when or where, but I know that the winds will blow. They will howl and the flood, winds, flood waters will rise. And my question for each one of you this week is simply this. Where have you anchored your soul? Where have you anchored your soul? You see, these original readers were in the minority. First off, they were exiles. They were far away from home in a foreign land. They didn't fit in. They didn't belong. They were ridiculed and mocked. They were discouraged and despondent. And in all honesty, let's be honest, many of them didn't survive this trial. Many of them did not trust the Lord. Many of them gave up on their faith and walked away. They didn't cling to the rock, but they plunged into the fully, they plunged fully into the tide of the culture around them. You know what? We've been asking that question in the times we're in. I'm sure some of you have thought about this, but I know that pastors and church leaders are asking this question. This flood tide called COVID-19, the question is: who will come back? And I am absolutely certain that in the last two years, there are going to be many people who have simply given up on their faith. Sadly so. They have lost all connection to God and to the church and sadly to their faith. But the fact is this, that God has always been, God has always had his way and God has had a faithful few. He has had that remnant to whom the spirit of God was working and calling to these discouraged travelers, sojourners, exiles. He cries out, look to the rock from which you were hewn. You need to know who you are and where you've come from. You need to know to whom you belong and where you're going to anchor your soul. You need to know who has called you and where you're headed. You need to know whom the master builder is and what he is building with your life. So for some of you, this week, this message, the simple reminder that you need is once again to hear the words that you are a deeply loved child of God that once we were not a people but now we are called the people of God we are being built into a living temple a house for God's glory and you need the courage to get back out there for one more day the big idea your identity matters your identity in Christ matters Who God is and what he has done, who we are in response, and then what we do. You see, no matter what else you say or think or feel about your life, the sovereign Lord speaks over your life. If you have surrendered to him, if you have said yes to him, if you have said, I will follow you, then he says over your life, look to the rock from which you came, my child. You're a living stone. I laid the cornerstone in Jesus Christ and I'm going to use your life to bring glory to myself. So do not grow weary. Do not be discouraged. I'm with you. I am for you. You are mine. Let the winds blow. Let the rains fall. Let the persecutions and the mockings and the vilifying come your way. The house that is built on the rock will stand. So look to the rock from which you were hewn. I want to pray with you. Father, what a week it has been. And I would be uh, wrong if I tried to understand every circumstance that every family listening to this message has gone through. But Father, we know so many families, both on our staff team and in our church family, and of course in our broader community, have been affected by the devastating floods that came to us this week and Lord we know we're just at the very front end of a very long rebuilding process and so Father I pray for the men and women the boys and girls that are listening to this message that if they would hear nothing else that they would anchor themselves firmly and solidly in their trust and their faith in you knowing Lord you are the sovereign Lord And that even when the storms come our way, that we can anchor ourselves to the solid rock that is Jesus. And then in Him, we can stand firm. Lord, give us grace and strength. Give us grace and strength as we look to the days ahead. We know that there will be opportunities for us to step in and to serve, to care, to to come alongside of our neighbors, to do practical and tangible things, to serve and to give and to love. And Father, in all of this, I pray that the name of Jesus Christ will be lifted up across this valley. I pray that the church of Jesus will rise up, that we will shine in these moments, that we will be the greatest help to our neighbors as they rebuild their lives. And God, would you open the door for many, many gospel conversations for every single one of us because of this disaster. Lord God, you are our rock. We cling to you. You are our anchor that holds us firm. And so Lord God, again today, Anchor us to that truth. Let us look to the rock from which we were hewn. For our joy, Father, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.